Um, well, we're going to be looking at Acts this morning, Acts chapter uh, 8, verse 26. If you want to get your Bibles or your phones out, it'd probably be good to uh, follow along just to make sure that uh, good old Uncle Keith is not preaching some sort of heresy or making mistakes. Uh, it's always good to follow the scriptures to make sure that we are in line with God's will and purpose. But also, I have to say that. Um, when I first saw this verse, I was a bit, a bit annoyed. I was a little bit put out because I'm thinking, I've been working through Acts for the last three years, and I thought, I'm not Acts again. Can't I just do a topical sermon? Something that's relevant and good. And topical sermons are very good. They actually do speak to the moment if there's an issue that's happening. But the danger for me is I tend to want to start putting my opinion into Scripture. And that's why I think it's good to always look at Scripture. Because the trouble with topical sermons is you start to dictate the circumstances and you can tweak God's Word around to suit your agenda. So it's lovely to actually be challenged and say, Keith, this is God's Word. It's not boring. It's not irrelevant. It is present and it has applicability aspects to it. So... Um, Chapter 8, verse 26. We're we'll looking at a little bit of the whole of the chapter, but just from 26 mostly to 40 on. And as I read through it, I might stop and pause and just point out a few things, just so we can get a little bit of an idea of what's happening. Uh, there's a whole lot to this. Could have gone in about six or seven different directions with all the commentaries that I read. And uh, I've chosen to stick to a particular pattern that I think is, is going to be helpful. Um, it's not a new thing for some people. It may be new for some people today. It may be just uh, uh, telling the old, old story once again to refresh and remind us of um, God. So Acts, oh, I better pray first. That would be helpful. Uh, not just helpful, but um, absolutely necessary uh, to hear God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your spirit. I pray that it comes upon us now, that we would take stock of your word and apply it into our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> now an angel, that's where we're starting, verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, so we're looking at this character named Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Just a little bit back behind this, in, in previous verses, he's in Samaria. He's cleared out of Jerusalem because of persecution and he's moved up to Samaria uh, and now he's actually been told to leave there and go to Gaza. Where the heck is Gaza? Looked it up on the map. It's heading south towards Egypt on the Mediterranean seaside there. So just get a bit of a geographical reference point. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian, a North African person. Eunuch, an important officer in charge of all the treasury of now pronounce this word. I had trouble even looking the commentaries couldn't agree how to pronounce it. I'm going to say Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So this Ethiopian obviously is aware of Judaism. It's travelled down into the north part of Africa, and he is aware of them. And he actually travels to Jerusalem up north. And on his way home, sitting in his chariot, we obviously know that he's fairly well off too, as well as being that, he has a chariot to travel in. He was reading the book of Isaiah. Now, back in those days, not too many people were running around with the book of Isaiah. So he's a statue, and he's well known in the sense that he may have had to pay a certain amount of money for this. 
you get it scribed and taken off into Africa. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Peter, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Peter ran up to the chariot and heard a man reading Isaiah, the prophet. I'm, I'm not there, it's Philip. Sorry. I'm with you, Jane. Oh, yeah, on my glasses, I hope, because I can't see hardly anything I'm reading here, actually. <laughs> then Peter ran up to the chariot. Hello, hello. Did I say that again? Yes. Philip ran up to the chariot. <laughs> no, I'm not. I can't see what I'm doing. <laughs> and you were in. Philip asked, how can, I, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading the passage of Scripture. He was like a sheep, slog, sorry, sheep to slaughter, and a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived with injustice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Peter, tell me, though I said it again, Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told the good news about Jesus. As they were travelling along the road, they came to some water, and you look, look, here is some water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip was baptised with him. When he came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Astos and travelled about preaching the good news in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I've titled my um, talk today, Jesus' Plans Supersede Everything Else. Jesus' Plans Supersedes Everything Else, including the world. The world offers us a whole lot of things, but Jesus supersedes all of that. He even supersedes sin with mercy. I think that's the other thing is that Jesus also supersedes every attempt that the devil makes. Um, maybe not in my time, but certainly in time, uh, God does bring around justice. But as for me, um, I don't know about you, but I was working as a blacksmith slaver when I was younger. Uh, my education wasn't terribly great, so that was the only job I could pick up at that particular point in time. Now, I know if you've ever been a blacksmith slave, you're dealing with hot metal all the time. It's a dusty and dirty job, and it's a hard job. I remember on my first day there, back in the days when they used to torment the apprentices, the young blacks said, come over here, you're going to be working in front of this furnace. Just keep your eye right there. And he opened the door, and this big gush of heat just came in and burned all the nostrils in my nose and all my eyebrows. Now, they had a good laughing joke. Now, that was the way they used to initiate people. But after seven years of doing the same boring, retarding job, I got jaded. I got jaded. And you think, what is the point of this? What is the purpose of this? And then I went into youth work. And I loved youth work because God gave me a purpose and a plan. But nevertheless, I still get jaded. I don't know if you've worked uh, with people. Uh, I work at Walmart Public Schools. It's not an easy school to work in. And I get jaded. And I also get very frustrated that things are not changing. Evil is still around us. And even the Bible call, I remember praying for Iran and Iraq. I haven't been in Bible calls for 30 years. And I think, God, what are you doing? Nothing's changed. 
it's still the same. We pray and yet nothing changes. Um, I'm into movies. I like psychological thrillers. Bit of a twist, keep guessing. My wife loves action. She likes a bit of action. But I noticed when I was watching my wife watching the action movies, they're all revengeful. Sort of tense, like that guy will get back at all these naughty people. And uh, we started watching Equalizer and John Wick. I shouldn't be probably watching that one. But watching John Wick where this guy would get up and sort everything out. And I used to get off the lens and go, yeah, like that. And he used to say, I've got a good feeling something's happening. There's no ambiguities. Everything is sorted. Everything is just right. And then I sit there and think, that's not very Christian logic, and uh, probably not good thing. But it feels good, God. It feels good. And then I realise feelings do not equate to truth. Feelings cannot be relied upon as to know what the truth is. So I'm not good at dealing with ambiguities. Nevertheless, Jesus has been gently exposing to me over 25 years, if not more, about his way of doing things and not my ways of doing things. And I just love the story of Joseph. It's one of my favourite stories in the Old Testament where Joseph is given a lovely coat. He's, um, given, uh, Jacob has a child when he probably didn't expect to have one, so he's really proud of his son. Gives him a lovely coloured coat. That really triggers the brothers off with a set of... Uh, a, a wick that gets lit that gets exploded and then Joseph has dreams and he shares his dreams with his brothers and they don't really warm to it as he probably thought that they would and to the point they get angry and they sell him off they put him in a well then they sell him off and then he's sent to Egypt and you think well if I was in Joseph's things I could handle that why am I here? what's going on? I don't want any ambiguities in my life I want a clear result anyhow as years go past, he actually starts to see that God's behind this whole picture. That God is sovereign. God supersedes whatever man's plan is to make that his will will come out in the end. And I think that's the challenging thing for us all. Not only do we see it in the Old Testament, and this is the thing that I like about this book of Acts, is not only is the character of God in the Old Testament seen there through Joseph, but it's seen here through Philip. The same situation in God's character and his sovereignty has not changed, even though Jesus has come. He's won the battle over evil, but still it's an unplaying chess game. He's still continuing. So what is it about Peter that we... Uh, Philip, I should read properly. Philip um, is firstly in chapter, chapter 6... He is a chosen person and he's chosen along the lines with um, Stephen. Uh, the issue is here that food is not being handed out or dispersed. Evenly, it's a governance issue that the church is facing rather than getting caught up into it and becoming a gosh obsession. They select seven wise people to sort out the situation. And one of those people we first get to know is Philip, is um, one filled with the spirit and also with wisdom. And then we go on to chapter 7, we actually see that Stephen uh, is then standing up with the Spirit and starting to testify. And the thing here is different is that human wisdom is not the same as biblical wisdom. Because if you look at where Stephen is filled with the Spirit and wisdom, he's actually then killed. He's saying, now, if you look at it from an earthly perspective, that was a dumb decision. 
But from a godly perspective, Stephen stands up as as Philip did also uh, with the Spirit. But then we come to chapter 8. And then on that day, persecution broke out. It actually says that in verse 1 of chapter 8. Evil has taken its opportune moment to uh, erupt and explode. And it's on this moment that the devil thinks he is playing his ultimate plan to destroy the church. And Paul is arising and his evil and his intent to bring about persecution upon the church. But I'm very impressed with two people, Peter and John. Just like a good fisherman in a storm will always face his boat towards the storm so he doesn't do and crashes into the waves so that they don't roll over. Stay firm in Jerusalem. Um, Philip, on the other hand, he scatters. He flees. And I'm not saying that there's, there's a reason sometimes to stand firm and there's a reason sometimes to flee. And sometimes both of them are actually biblically uh, okay according to the book of Acts. However, the difference here between fleeing and taking up for Philip is that he doesn't flee and hide. If you look at verse 8, verse 4, he goes around preaching the word as all the others that flee Jerusalem go and spread the word of God. And he goes to the place, where does he go? Samaria. The very place that the Jewish people detest and don't like, I think it's ironic that the plan of God, those people over there as society will tell you, is the very place that God says, no, sorry, I'm going to supersede your plan again. And he pays, the the devil pays his cards, yet God says, no, I'm going to supersede you again. And therefore, he goes to Samaria and he throws out things. And the question I actually wonder is, I wonder where our time of persecution will come here at St. Clair. I think I keep on thinking people being plain saving. If you're doing a good job, the devil's going to come for you in one way or another. And I started thinking, what way would Satan undermine my ministry or the ministry of St. Clair? And I started thinking about the recorded camera over here. I thought, it's a blessing. It's an absolute blessing to this church. Gary has come to faith with that process of that camera and sharing and putting it on the internet so that others can hear about God. But it also, if you look at the football, Israel Falau, it's that very thing there that brought persecution upon himself and many other people around him. But, so there's this tension between the devil thinking he's got one, saying, yeah, yeah, I get you on camera, look what I did to Israel Folau. But then again, we have a blessing and God's superseding once again. The Gary came uh, on his faith journey to our church here through that process. So we have here that, um, that as we flee... The gospel is spread beyond Jerusalem to Samaria, and particularly in this passage, to Africa, or at least one person in Africa. It's not clear as to where he went back, but I've assumed that he'd have associates. If he's got the book of Isaiah, that he's actually talking about Judaism and bringing Christianity back into North Africa. And I think it's this process that, that God is actually unfolding, brings the verse from what I was talking about, Joseph, into play. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done for the saving of many lives. Back then it meant the saving of the Israel people because of the drought in the year which sheltered them within Egypt for a period of time. 
But here, the persecution has brought about. On that day, not only did persecution break out, but it is the one moment where the whole gospel is starting for the first time to move away from Jerusalem into the wider world. It's almost like a giant chess game. I always imagine this in my memory, that, that Satan's playing a game of chess with Jesus. And he, if I knew Satan, he'd put on the dark sunglasses, a bit of bling, the rings, like that, the big silver chain, all of that, the worldly stuff, and there would be a humble Jesus playing on the other side. And then Satan would make his move. Check. Gotcha. Got your Christians on the run there. And then, so got Philip running. Jesus makes a little move. And it's in his nature, I sometimes feel like the Satan is trapped in his own behaviour. He's evil, so he has to play out his evil. That's his, his character. And yet when he plays out his character and tries to destroy anything that is good of God, he's actually sort of playing into God's hands. And he almost feels, I think, in a sense, trapped. I'm evil, I have to do evil. But if I do evil, then God will turn that around for good. He'll always supersede me. So in this game of chess, after five, check... Jesus always comes up, checkmate, I've got you. I will overcome. I am sovereign, not you. And so therefore, um, it plays out all through the biblical history, not only with uh, Joseph and Philip here, but also at the cross. Well, let's go back to the step. We're coming into Christmas, his birth. Once again, something is coming in. And then Herod turns up, wants to hunt down who this Jesus is and destroy him. And at the cross, in that moment of so-called evil, God triumphs once again. So this um, Philip bloke, what is it that made him, uh, he kept him sustainable through this whole process around him, that didn't want him to gravitate towards having no ambiguities, but what made him stand and work in ambiguities, that everything around him was not necessarily going as we wanted. Well, the first thing I think you can find that is um, no itinerary. Philip had no itinerary, went to Samaria. Then the angel of the Lord said to him, go. So for us as Christians, and I know it's easy for me to say that, as being unmarried to a rock without children, it's easy for us to do mission, we're not necessarily sure. But nevertheless, there are missionary families that have taken this upon themselves, that there is no itinerary, no planning for the future, uh, other than biblical planning and strategies both for the gospel. And we can see that in the book of uh, James. If you turn to chapter 4, verse 15 in the book of James, I think it's a, it's a message here that we can all not necessarily get caught up if trying to plan everything all the time. I think planning is good, but planning out um, stress and other things like that, things of the world. So, uh, verse 13 of 4 says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend time here, uh, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why do you not even know what will happen to you tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is of the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, 
you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Everyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So I think it's a fine reminder that, that we live not as permanent residents of this world, but residents of the first. So having no necessary itinerary was one of the gifts that uh, Philip had. We also know that in chapter 6 he was filled with the Spirit and had wisdom, and he was prayed for and laid on his hands. They're important qualities of Christian church and Christian leadership. To be filled with the Spirit, prayer, no necessarily big itinerary. And the other one that you'll see in verse 8, verse 6, is listening to the voice of God. It is the angel that speaks to him that is attentive to the actual voice of the angel. And then also, in Acts 29, the first time he's spoken to by an angel, the second time he's spoken through by the Spirit of God, and he's receptive to both times. And the outcome of his listening is um, faithfulness and his obedience to that message. On both occasions, he moves and operates. He says, bring back the old hymn to trust and obey, for there is no other way. And follow Jesus. Follow, follow. There's only Sunday school song I remember. I was too busy tormenting the girls, pulling out the details and things. But I do remember follow, follow. Follow, follow, follow Jesus. Everywhere. Good singing. Yes. And it is that uh, that we need to follow on. And th in that is it happens in Acts chapter 8, 27. You have a look there at the two times where he does follow. And then he follows him and follows him. And then God's plan starts to unfold again. Actually tells him to run up to a chariot. And it's at that moment, because he was faithful, that he actually said, oh, he's reading God's scriptures. He's actually reading God's words. I could have missed this moment if I had not been faithful in fulfilling out what God had asked me to do. So then there's some things that I think that are very encouraging and very, very challenging to us, that without these qualities of leadership, without knowing the scriptures, we may not necessarily be able to assist and clearly share the good news as Philip has done here. And because of his um, faithfulness, because of his knowledge of scripture and his mission work, he has um, touched and outreached not only to the Samaritans, but also to the African Union. And on both these occasions, we know that the Spirit of God had turned up in amongst all that he was probably feeling being pushed and pulled in all sorts of directions, that both these situations turned out that God's grace turned up and that it appeared upon the Samaritans and then secondly, the eunuchs, to the point that they walked away joyfully. It actually says that in the scriptures down below. So we can be inspired by each other in this, is that in this season... Are we willing to be listening to God's word? Are we in this season willing to be obedient to God despite the circumstances that surround us? And the challenge for me and the challenge for us is that those jaded moments, I actually take stock and I say to myself, 
you know, well, what's hard? You don't see some changes, Keith, but that's okay. Just stay faithful. Share the gospel where you can. And then God will turn up and he will do amazing things for you and your life and for other people that you can encourage also to see happening in your life. Also, I want to point out a few things in regards to, we've been talking about uh, church growth and so forth and about what is church. And the one thing about church and the early church thing is when the Acts and the Gospel was persecuted, it actually grows. There's a couple of um, points that I'd like to make out is that there are some similarities. Number one, the church needs a pioneering spirit. We know that um, those that went out in the initial book of Acts were all pioneers. I don't know about you, but I struggle with pioneers. I'm a person that's not a settler or a pioneer. A pioneer goes out and they do whatever God tells them what to do. I'm the sort of guy that turns up and says, okay, what's happening? What are we doing? Where's the plan? And I, I get confused with pioneering people, but I also get conf- um, not confused, uh, bewildered about pioneers, but I also get bewildered by settlers. Can't you see what's happening? So I get myself caught in that mid-ground of saying, oh, you pioneers are just too radical. I, I can't figure out where you're going and what you're doing. Yet the settlers that come in, and it's interesting that uh, John and them turn up, once they hear of what Philip is doing down in this area, they say, hey, listen, I think we need to go down there. There's a ministry that's appearing. And they turn up, and they turn up and support Philip before he gets sent off on the way to Gaza. Um, so not only do we need a pioneer experience, that in both occasions in the book of Acts, to different people groups, the gospel is proclaimed. It's a common thing. And in both situations, the people of Samaria and the uh, African man is baptised. And we're going to have a baptism, aren't we, Gary, at the camp, mate? It's going to be a great and joyful experience. The thing I've also mentioned is that the gospel has an impact because in both situations, the Samaritan people and the African went away joyfully. But there are some differences in our ministry. For example, race. We are challenged in a multicultural situation today. How do we reach out to people of different race? Uh, one thing that I was very fascinated while, while filling in the banks until Jess turned up was the Indian population that we actually do have within Sinclair. My question is, how do we reach out to a multicultural society? And here we have uh, the race back in those days with Samaritans, mixed religions. So the gospel is welcoming into that context. Yet it is also welcoming into an African context, not only an African context, but one of a person in high status, a treasurer, a person that the queen and the king and the people have sent to Jerusalem. What about rank? Samaritans. Ordinary, mixed-up breed, ordinary, mixed-up citizens. They were into the occult. Simon, in the book of chapter 8, was into the occult and all sorts of different types of religions. That's what the Samaritans were into. Whereas the African religion, at least, was turning slightly towards Judaism and were in search of one God, not multiple gods, that was not necessarily working for them. And also the interesting thing for Philip, sometimes we're called to talk to the masses, to a large group like he did to the Samaritan people. But we're also challenged, and he had the gift of bringing it down to a personal level to do that of individual personal evangelism. 
So it's lovely to see Philip in a teaching and a learning for us that not only is God superseding all the devil's plans as an encouragement for us today, but he gives us some tools and tools that says, this is what the gospel is going to look like. This is the people groups that I'm going to reach and move out to. There's going to be times when you're going to do Christianity Explained. And that's my plan once we get these community meals and whatever contacts that you have through coach programs or whatever like that, we can bring them to a mass understanding. But that's also done with the context of individual relationships with people in community where we can get alongside people who are struggling and need that help. Let's pray and let's ask God's Spirit to uh, encourage us. Uh, how do we work corporately? But also, how do we work? I, I love, I was never brought up with corporate mission. I was very individual in my corporate mission in the sense that you went to a sporting activity, a cricket club, and you got alongside someone and you shared your faith. But later in life, I've actually changed a little bit. I looked at Jesus and the 12 disciples, how they work together as a corporate group to do mission. Not only that, but the 12 tribes of Israel all had a place and role that they complemented each other in what they do. And I think there's something about uh, community uh, activities to do evangelism as well. So let's pray. Let's ask the Spirit for this coming time as we move towards Christmas that we keep in mind that whatever you're feeling may not necessarily be what's actually happening around you. And if you're like me, it's a struggle to live in the ambiguities of life. I want things cut and clear. Um, let's ask for mercy and peace to help us through that, to actually keep our eyes on Jesus and know what the unfolding moment might mean for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that um, your spirit uh, intercedes with us, gives us new sight, new understanding, that, Lord, we can um, move beyond the uncomfortableness of things not being organised. Help me and help all of us here, Lord, to know that uh, even a chaotic household, we can feel frustrated that things are not in order. Give us that peace, Lord, in you, not necessarily in a clean bedroom. Not that it's wrong to clean our bedrooms or our houses or mow a nice, tidy lawn. But we know, Lord, that our place is temporary here and that our house and our place to come is with you. In Jesus' name, amen.